second king, I, I feel everything's all right in this house. I, uh, I passed a couple of brethren, brothers of the day, brother Young, I passed a couple of brothers of the day. And uh, I could tell I'm not too smart, but these weren't, weren't rich, rich men. But, and I heard this since then. But I'm telling you, one of them looked at the other and they had million dollar smiles. I mean, ten million dollar smiles. And one of them said, the other said, what's up? That's one word, what's up? What's up? He said, what's up, bro? <laughs> and you, you, you hear it all the time, but I just heard it, boy, and it's been going over my mind all time. Ever since he said, he's all good. He said, he's all good. I'm going to tell you that, that, that hit me. You know, life's just not fair. A Hispanic brother, they're always wanting to have a fiesta. <laughs> uh, our black brother, they can have fun anywhere they're at. I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong. I, I, I know who I am, but there's something wrong with these white folks. If, if we talk to each other, it's how are you doing? <laughs> and then they won't answer you back. And if it is, it's you don't want to know, man. You, you don't want to know how bad. It's all bad. It just ain't right, brother. It ain't right. I'm going to tell you ever since I heard that, brother, it's all been good. <laughs> I said it's all good. Some of you need to smile here, brother. I'm telling you. You had a bad day. You in the right place. You in the right place. It's all good, brother. You hear me? It's all good. Uh, and the good part about this is it's going to get better. I got to preach a little bit tonight. If the Lord will help me. First uh, Kings, second Kings rather, chapter 13. And verse number 14. Now, now Elisha was fallen sick. Of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and he wept over him and he said, Oh my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, he's saying all the right stuff. And about that time church started, church started. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And that's what we're going to do here tonight. We're going to open a window of opportunity. Toward a new sunrise in tonight, today. Amen. Open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And, the, uh, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. 
That's one aspect of it. Number two, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. That's the second aspect of it. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Apex till thou hast consumed them. Then he put the service in his hands and he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, you smite the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. Let me interpret that. He smote half-heartedly three times and it stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him. Brother, that means he got mad. Sometime God's only way of expressing his attitude and his feelings about a certain situation is through the man of God. Sometimes he comes in and he feels light and he don't know why he feels light. That's God's attitude that night. Sometimes he comes in and he feels heavy and that's God's way of communicating to you. Sometimes he comes in and everything that can move better hide and run for cover. That's God's attitude. Amen. The man of God was wroth with him and he said, you should have smitten five or six times. Then had thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Well, now thou shalt smite Syria, but three times. The last phrase of that verse says, of that chapter says, uh, verse 25 said, three times did Joash beat him. And he recovered the cities of Israel, and you may be seated. Amen. I, I just got two or three little things that I want to say tonight. I really do. I do. I read not long ago in the biblical illustrator where that the history of, of, of the human race basically is a history of war. That as long as there's been anybody around, they've been fighting. You may not know that, but that's true. And the great historians of our world says that uh, the whole history of uh, the human race, uh, in that uh, whole history, there has only been a few years without war. And some may know exactly how many, but somebody said it was under 200 years in the whole history of the human race that there has been no war. That must have been a good time. I don't know. But what else the commentary said was in all the history of war, there has only been about 15 Decisive battles. Decisive battles. There's a whole lot of fighting. But nobody's winning decisively. I know this is a conference, but it's not just a conference. And I have come here today to tell somebody that where you sit right now, you need to make up your mind that before I leave here Saturday morning, I am going to come to a decisive, conclusive, 
victory in my life over the things that I fight. I'm going to win the war now. The Lebanon, the second Lebanon, the 34-day war that we just finished, or they just finished, is a typical example. There were no winners. There were no winners. Israel feels that they have been defeated, and the Hezbollah feel that they are successful because they were not defeated. And the generals are saying around this world, that the days of decisive battles being won are over. That they are being won or they are being uh, a truce made or they are, are being uh, whatever in the halls of Congress. The politicians and not the generals are controlling the war. And what they are saying that they are, there is a thinking around that there will never be another decisive battle, a decisive war won in the history of mankind. I don't know anybody fighting to win. Every war we're in, whether it's Iraq or whether it's Afghanistan or whether wherever it is, America is not fighting to win. I am going to tell you, America and Israel and the church were unstoppable when they fought to win. When they made up their mind that I'm going to win this war, brother, you couldn't stop them. But there has something happened to the psyche, to the soul, if you please. Not only of Israel and not only of America. But I am telling you, it has permeated this church from the center to the circumference. And it is only here and there that you find somebody that's got their mind made up. I am going to have a decisive battle won now. Praise God. Praise God. In fact... You may be seated. In fact, most of us are fighting an age-long war. Nobody here is fighting anything new. Same old stuff, brother. I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you will be resigned to the fact that I'm going to fight this demon forever. And I'm going to live and die fighting this demon that I'm fighting. I don't know, brother. I, I got a, I got a mold on me tonight. I I got blood in my eyes tonight. I don't know how to say what I'm about to say, but I'm telling you, there's going to be some decisive victories won in this place before this meeting is over, before Friday night comes to an end. And all I'm asking is for some warriors to stand up. Some fighters to stand up. Enough is enough. Brother, you hear me? I'm here to join with anybody that wants to break that yoke and destroy that yoke. Tonight. Tonight. 
You may be seated. I, I cannot preach sermons like everybody else. I, I got to just preach. If I hit a trail, I'll hunt. And if I don't, I'll quit. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Hope, change can only happen in the context of hope. That's what they're trying to do. Take our blessed hope away from us. Change can only happen where there's hope. And if there is no hope, there's no will to fight. I have come tonight to bring hope to every man and woman that's in this place tonight. I don't know what you're fighting, but I know you're fighting. I don't know if it's sickness. I don't know if it's cancer. I don't know what it is, but I feel victory in my spirit tonight. And I feel deliverance, brethren. I feel a spirit of deliverance. You can look at me and tell I'm not brave and I'm not a hero. But I'm not afraid, brother. God has not given me a spirit of fear. But it is a spirit of power. Power with God. Love for those that need help. And a sound mind, self-discipline toward myself. Amen. Let me preach a little bit here tonight. My question in this house tonight, you may be seated, is how much deliverance is needed here tonight? How much is necessary is enough. Now, it was the close of an era. Elisha represents the prophets. He was a a representative man. There was an Elisha after Elijah. But there was nobody after Elisha. He represented God's voice. What I have found out is this. That when God sent judgment on Israel. And I want you to tune in right now. It seemed to me that there was a pattern, brethren, when God would send judgment to Israel. First of all, he would silence the mouth of the prophets. There would be no, thus saith the Lord. Then in their absence, he would raise up children and women to rule over them. That's what Isaiah said. And then there he would take desire out of their heart. There would be no hunger for God. And it would only be found over here and over there and back over there and over there. But as a whole, there was no desire and there was no hunger. And now it's been, it's been a long time in Israel, the northern king. You see, there never was a good king in the northern ten tribes. Some better than the other, but none of them good. Because the northern kingdom was founded on calf worship. That's idolatry. That's paganism. It lasted 250 years. But God got enough of that mess. And Jeroboam introduced into 
Israel a amalgamation, if you please, a, a variation. He, he introduced calf worship, which 500 years prior, God wouldn't let it happen with Aaron. But that spirit was so deep in the DNA of some of those people. That spirit was so deep in the DNA. Uh, I, I'm just going to throw out some things and it may have, uh, I don't know, but Ephraim, Ephraim was half Egyptian. His mama was an Egyptian. Dan was a servant. He put one in Dan and the other in Bethel, which was Ephraim. That may be the reason they're not mentioned in, in Revelation 7. No protection during Daniel's 70th week. No ceiling there. But he put these calves there. And they never, never got over it. And they got deep into it. And the whole thing started when Jeroboam said, it's too much. It's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. It's too much. God would send sundry and different prophets to a hopeless lost cause. And some of these prophets would deal with some peripheral, some... Uh, a little spin-off problems, but nobody ever dealt with those calves. God wanted those calves gone. God would send them different problems, and God would send them different opposition, and He would send them different adversaries. And Israel's main concern would be the little difficulty or the little problem but God said I, I want those calves out of there and so now it's winding down now it's about over these things have happened God has shut the mouth of the prophets and in our day our text today it has been 28 years since Elisha has prophesied he has been silent for 28 years. The last we hear of him, he sends a man to go and anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. And now we're dealing with Jehu's grandson. It's been 28 years since there has been a clear sound from God's man and the mind of God. Somebody say praise the Lord. Amen. And so now the voice of the prophet has been hushed. It has been stilled. And there has been little, small, irrelevant men running Israel. And the hunger is gone. Nobody seems to be hungry for God. What saith the word of the Lord? And now Elisha has all but been retired. He represents the hope of Israel. He represents the voice of Israel. He represents the conscience of Israel. He represents the moral guide and the, the moral compass of Israel. There won't be nobody to preach to these little kings because God is shutting the elder, the mouth of the prophet up. And hope is dying in Israel. It is a terrible, terrible situation. Greater than anybody can realize or I can say. 
for some crazy reason. Here's this great grandson of Jehu. He makes up his mind to go by to see a dying prophet. Maybe he remembers how his grandfather told him, Jehu, about how it was. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe there was an old kind of a root that touched him that said, maybe, maybe there may be a word for God, from God for me. And so here he comes, brethren, and he comes in and he's smitten because he sees the hope of Israel dying. The hope of Israel is in, in a man. God uses men. And there's no hope when this prophet dies. There's nobody behind him. So he begins to cry. And he begins to weep. And he begins to say everything right. The, the prophet, the, the chariot of Israel, the horseman. That's what Elisha said when Elijah was taken away. And all of a sudden, brother, all of a sudden, this dying hope... This dying preacher, this dying faith, rose up and he thought, is there yet hope for Israel? And all of a sudden an inspiration came on this dying man. And he said, take a bow. And church started, brother. I'm telling you, church started. This man had walked in. He represents the culture of the world. He represents the culture of apostate Israel. And, and Elijah represents God's culture, a culture of righteousness. Here is God's mind head on with carnality glorified. Oh, help me, Lord. And so here he is. And, and this man is a representative. He, there is going to be more happen today. There is going to be further reaching consequences today for more people than anything I know of in this Bible. This is one of the more dramatic things that happens in the nation of Israel. Here is going to be a man with an opportunity. Here is going to be a man with an opportunity to turn it around. Here is going to be a man with an opportunity for a brand new beginning. But he's out of it. He don't, he don't perceive what's going on. Everything he does is half-hearted. Everything he does is just in a half-hearted way. He brings that same attitude into church. He brings that same mindset into church. Amen. I'm going to hit a trail here in a minute. I feel something coming on, folks. You know what I want to tell somebody here tonight? I want to tell somebody if you need help tonight, help's in the house. I'm going to tell you if you need deliverance, deliverance is in this house. If there's been an old spirit on your trail, I'm telling you he better get out of here like the gingerbread man. Uh, let me give you just three things before I go any further because we're going to go further here in a minute. I'm going to tell you just about three things that I want somebody to do tonight. If you need deliverance and you've got some sickness that just won't let go. And you've got some infirmity that you've had a long time. Or you had an old gnawing difficulty or problem. But this is just the way i got to preach now. I may reach something profound tomorrow. <laughs> I doubt it. 
I just feel what I feel here tonight. I'm telling you, if you've had a problem with heart disease, if you've had a problem, whatever, I'm telling you, get ready, brother. Just get ready. I am not a healer, but I know the healer. I'm not going to build anything up big. I'm just telling you, I know what I know. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how I've been praying. You don't know what God told me. Well, I feel a lot of critical. I feel a lot of cynicism. I feel a lot of hypocrisy in this house. I feel a lot of unbelief in this place. Very sophisticated unbelief. I'm going to tell you, you're not even bobbing the cork tonight because greater is he that's in us than he that's in you. It just don't take him all night to do something. I'm going to tell you, if I needed something from God tonight, there's about three things I'd do right now. I'd, I'd repent. Get ready, get ready. Something's about to happen. I'd release, I'd, for, I'd ask God to forgive. Oh, you say, I don't have nothing to repent about? Well, just repent about your self-righteous spirit. Repent about that pride you got. I'm going to tell you, brother, you're a fool to take that kind of attitude into a prayer closet. There ain't nobody in there but you and God, and God knows who you are. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. I'm going to tell you, there's folks here that needs healing way down deep in their spirit where a doctor can't reach and where a preacher can't reach. They're so deep hurt here tonight that only the hand of God can reach. Get ready, get ready. I'm talking about deliverance. First thing you got to do is repent. Why don't we do that right now? Oh, that do some of you good. Come on, say, God, I'm sorry. For my pride, my arrogance, for my sins of omission and commission. My attitude. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, I feel the healer in the house. That may spring something right here when you take, when you loose this thing. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry for that pornography I've been involved in. Deliver me from that immoral spirit. Amen. Second thing. Second thing, you gotta, you gotta forgive everybody that's done you wrong. Come on now. It may never be like it was, but you got to release that. You want God to forgive you and you ain't gonna forgive nobody. I'm telling you. He says it ain't gonna work that way, buddy. 
I'm going to lose some of you here. I'm telling you, God's got a plan, brother. And when you get right with this plan, boy, I'm, I'm going to cross everybody. Just I'm going to cross about everybody that's in this building tonight. I'm going to tell you, if you've got a sickness tonight, it's the will of God to heal you. I'm going to tell it again. Don't pray about it. Don't pray about it. Yes, I'm positive. It's not the will of God to heal you. It may not be the will of God to heal me. I'm telling you, if God's getting glory out of your sickness, how much more will he get glory out of your healing? And if it's a will of God for you to be sick, you surely wouldn't be taking medicine, would you? You wouldn't want out of the will of God. I'm not trying to be smart and mean. I'm just trying to tell you that you swallowed a lie. You're not glorifying God. You're going to glorify God when he heals you tonight or tomorrow. Somebody's got to make up their mind. I'm supposed to be healed. Somebody's got to make up their mind. Yeah. I'm going to die, but not of this. Not of this. <laughs> Amen. Somebody told me the other day they had a dream of the demon that has been giving them all their problem all their life. And in that dream, they saw him and he was about that tall. About that big. That's how big that spirit is in your life tonight in comparison to what's in this place. Somebody needs to make up their mind that you're tired of being chased around by an evil, oppressive spirit. Number one, you repent of everything you need to repent of. And number two, you release everybody that's done you wrong. You can't afford to hold a grudge. You can't afford to hate somebody. You can't afford to wish somebody real or wrong. And you've got to understand once and for all that Jesus Christ is our hope. Not your goodness and not your lifestyle and not your dress code and not your religion and not your righteousness and not you nothing. And not only is it Jesus, it was the cross and the blood. Boy, this is so simple, so simple. Some folks are saying, come on, man, get on and preach. I'm just telling you, this is where it's at, brother. I just want somebody to get ready. I'm going to tell you, I'm not a healer. I'm not projecting myself as a healer. But I know the healer. I preach the healer. I know the Savior. I can tell them how to be saved and I can tell them how to be healed. And I can tell them how to be delivered. 
You don't bring your rotten spirit in here tonight either. I'm telling you, there's some folks here that's just as sincere and, and the doctor has said they can't help them. And the judge has said they can't help them. Somewhere they need some hope. Change can only happen in the context of hope. And if the devil takes hope away, there is no way we can be helped. Hope spoke that day. Hope spoke that day. The hope of Israel said, get a ball. There's hope. All of a sudden there's a revival of hope. Get some arrows. That old aged prophet may be in slow motion. It's a dying thing. But all of a sudden he's got a little thing here. And he says, open the window. (laughs) Open the window. I'm telling somebody here, that's a window of hope. It's been closed. The doctors closed it. Somebody's going to open that window. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. Brother, I'm not building this up. I don't want to, I don't want, I just want to tell you what's in my heart. I want to tell you, brother, I'm not trying to be anything big. I'm just trying to tell you that this is what I know. That in this meeting, somebody's going to open that window. It's been closed. But with the help of the preaching and the help of the rema, the rema, with a little bit of inspiration from a revived hope. Somebody's going to open that window eastward. That's where the sun rises, brother. That's where tomorrow comes from. God wants to give somebody back your future. God wants to give somebody back your tomorrow. Tonight. I can't tell you how strong I feel this elder, LVR. I can't tell you how strong I... This is, this is big. Not because it's you and me, but because he's up to something big tonight. I'm telling you, some of you, your funeral has been planned. I'm, tell, I'm here to tell you to call it off. You're going to live and not die. I feel this, Brother Dudley. Deliverance. Deliverance. The hour of deliverance. Mm. I feel a resurrection here this morning. Tonight, I, I feel a revival here tonight. 
Go ahead and stand there and look. Go ahead. I'm telling you, there's folks getting after it here tonight. I don't mean to be harsh and mean. There's life in this house. Eternal life in this house. You don't know where we're at. You don't know where we've been. You don't know where these men and women are. You let them alone. You let them alone. for their life in church and faithful and paying tithes but they're fighting for their life here they are God they don't want to go nowhere they're fighting for their life God send the angel of the Lord down by this house God with mighty 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 deliverance here it is here it is Telling somebody to call the funeral off. Send the hearse back home. Kick the flowers in the hole. Declare I will live and I will not die. I'm going to tell you if you're standing by your companion, you ought to reach over there and tell, tell her or him, we're going to live. We're not going to die. We're going to live. The devil is a liar. My family's going to live. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my kids. Brother, you're going to live. You hear me? You're going to live, man. You're going to live. You're going to live. Brother Jackson, you're going to live, brother. He He's Brother Dudley, I'm going to live in spite of what the devil's trying to do. Brother Young, I'm going to live, brother. Something ought to stand up inside you, sir. 
Where's that warrior in you, man? Come on, young lady. Hope is trying to talk. Hope is speaking one more time. In a cold, dark world, hope says, open the window. God hears your cry. Yay! I hear your cry. He says, I will answer. I will answer. You don't know where we're coming from, brother. I'm glad you got it together, but we don't. We don't. Deliverance, 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 Lord. Lord, I break the bondage. I break the yoke. Never demon of hell that's come against this child of God. Huh. Minister in this house, God. Let a spirit of deliverance, let a ministry of deliverance come. There's a new day breaking here. There's a new sunrise breaking here. I tell you, you don't have to feel a thing. Just accept it, accept it, accept it. Open the door. <laughs> 